the joy that fills each of our hearts this morning to be able to assemble and to do so as commanded by God in Hebrews 10.25 and to do so with the express purpose of honoring and glorifying Him, Matthew 4 verse 10. And furthermore, of course, to build each other up in the most holy faith, 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1 sets before us a remarkable and beautiful privilege that we have this Lord's Day morning. About us this day on the outside, of course, the weather's a bit fairer than it has been of late. And as we also give some thought to some of those announcements made about and also the words in the prayer, the difficulties that so many have faced and are continuing to face, it helps us appreciate the blessing that's ours to be able to assist and contribute in the ways that we can. One of those announcements that Brother Roger made, perhaps, is something that can already begin to rest on our minds. As we think about the Bible Bowl and the effort that we've made here over the last few years in working toward that goal, the particular book that is going to be used this year was released, as I understand it, this morning. And interestingly enough, that book is the 66th and final book of the Bible this year, the book of Revelation. So our youngsters and we who will be assisting will be working with them in the study of the Revelation. As we begin to pray about and think about that meeting that Roger announced on Wednesday night, let us give some appreciation and, and earnest thought to the ways in which we can involve ourselves in assisting our youngsters and others to better learn and to participate in that study of Revelation. As you might have noted in the bulletin, the title to the lesson today is in fact one that appears now on the wall to, to my left. It is the simple question, shall we dance? And as often times is the case, we live in a society and in a place in which the questions that often surround us seem to come left and right and come at a very rapid pace. What kinds of things are you and I to participate in in this earth and in this world? Here are some initial thoughts that I would encourage each of us to give some thought to as we think about the nature of the question before us today. It is the case from Jeremiah 29, 13 that this powerful truth is set forth. God on that occasion to Jeremiah and thus to all Israel basically made this statement. Ye shall search for me and ye shall find me when you seek for me with all your heart. It has ever been the case that God demands that those who pursue Him do so not in a hypocritical fashion, not in a feigned fashion, but rather in truth and in the character of a life fully devoted and fully determined to be that which God would have it to be. We understand well, do we not, that the Lord spoke in Matthew 7 verses 13 and 14 of the fact that there is a straight gate that of course goes with a narrow way. And on the other hand, there is a rather broad gate that goes with a wide way. And the Lord explicitly affirmed that there are few that travel that narrow way that leads to everlasting life. The challenging charge for all of us day by day is to always walk on that narrow way. Although there will be temptations to veer off on a wide way because that's so much easier. And although that there will often be encouragements to follow that way that's broad and wide and it is so easy that it nonetheless is demanded by God of us if we expect to arrive at heaven to ever walk that narrow way. Quite often that shall be unpopular. Quite often it shall cause us not to have fame and popularity and fortune, but may we never forget that those things will not earn one or lead one to eternal life. Jesus said, Be thou faithful unto death. 
He did not say be wealthy, be famous, be rich, be popular. He said be faithful. And so today, as we give some thought to these matters, there are so many things that you and I and our youngsters face often. Questions that come at them almost as if it's one after another peppered in their direction. Questions like dancing, social drinking, gambling. Questions that have to do with sexuality, pornography, cursing and lying. And that's just a rough sampling, isn't it? It behooves us then to ask about my life and yours. The bottom, what does the Bible say about dancing? Today, we shall merely look at the first element in that list. And as we do so, we will first of all remind ourselves of the current state of affairs in our culture. And then, of course, most importantly, the question is not what the culture says, not what the culture encourages, but rather, how does God feel about it? And what have the sacred scriptures revealed relative to that thought? A few remarks, comments, if you will, concerning dancing might well be in order. First of all, a definition I think that would be readily accepted by most. Taken from Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, to dance is a series of rhythmic and patterned bodily movements usually performed to music. Indeed, a definition that seems to harmonize with, I think, our expectations relative to that. But beyond that, it's easy to conclude that dancing is a very ancient activity. Its first mention in the sacred scriptures is in Exodus 15. But it would seem, based on archaeological evidence, that in fact its existence goes far back beyond that. Pictures on cave walls or various other rock sculptures, very ancient in character, portray various kinds of dances. Other kinds of ancient records scribed into various hard substances have also been found. It's easy to conclude based on all of that that dancing was popular in olden times and isn't it popular today. Some of the most popular current television shows, in fact, have their motif based upon and surrounding the topic of dancing. In fact, I've listed but two, but you're aware of that very popular show probably due to its advertisement, Dancing with the Stars. Quite often there's a rather large statement made relative to those selected to participate, the various well-known athletes or otherwise. Another show on Fox is, So You Think You Can Dance. Those are only a sampling of other elements that might well be mentioned. The number of songs, seems it doesn't matter what genre, but the number of songs that either encourage dancing, make reference to dancing, in fact in some way allude to it's almost boundless. It is easy to note then, isn't it, that dancing is a very popular activity. It is something that the world openly and rather approvedly accepts. It is something that in fact all of us face, at least indirectly, in some of these ways at the bottom of that slide. Our youngsters, there was a time when most of the dances at school seems to have been reserved for high school years. Now, those in junior high, the administration will put on a dance. And the youngsters, the boys and girls, come and they dance together. It seems as if those kinds of questions are moving to earlier and earlier ages. The prom. As youngsters, or at least juniors and seniors in high school, give thought to that, should I go or should I not? If I go, may I dance or may I not? 
All of those are very good questions, and our youngsters, our children, our grandchildren have every right to ask us and to ask of God, what does the Bible say about dancing? Do the Holy Scriptures approve it? Or in fact, are there questions about it? Or perhaps further, does the Bible condemn it? May I invite us over the next few moments this morning, in light of the current culture of dancing, to give some thought to what does the Bible say about it. As we do that, the next set of slides, in fact, will present some basic Bible truths relative to the subject of dancing. I thought that in light of some of these matters, it would be interesting to, in fact, give some thought to an additional series of ideas or remarks that seem so prevalent in them. We just now mentioned these matters of remarks about what dancing is and some of the questions that we're called upon to face and to answer. But here are some more. The modern dance seems in many cases to be an unchoreographed movement or gyration of men and women as they dance together. Bodily contact sometimes is extensive and even beyond all of that. Here's a quotation, a direct quotation, in fact, taken from the Encyclopedia Britannica that I think helps us to focus our thinking relative to what the underlying motivation is. And why is dancing, it seems, such a desirable thing in the mind of so many? The end product of dancing is doubtless the same. Physical pleasure in the activity of dancing and the sexual awareness of a partner, whether embraced or half-consciously observed. It at times is a veritable shame, isn't it? If you have occasion to watch any of that that takes place in the course of a movie or in these television programs, sometimes the scantily clad character of those who participate, the kinds of movements that in fact are undertaken are sometimes somewhat shocking, aren't they? Beyond all of that, Dancing, it has been known for centuries. That which makes it such a pleasant thing to so many is the fact that at the underlying nature, it is sexually exciting in the sense that it's stimulating to that element of the human family. In fact, to observe a scantily clad individual, be it male or female, tends to excite the opposite sex. And furthermore, to watch them engage in these kind of activities and perhaps to be the recipient of those activities themselves. It is entirely fair to say that in our society quite often, those from cheerleaders to otherwise engage in these and do so in such an open fashion and display matters that should not be displayed and engage in activities that simply ought not be displayed in that public kind of way. He should be reserved for one's married mate and no one else. In fact, some have argued, but isn't there supervision at dances, school dances or proms? There may well be chaperones there, but there isn't a chaperone on earth that can conform the thinking of a boy or the thinking of a girl to that which is godly and that which is noble and that which is appropriate. No chaperone, you see, can control that. And thus, one has to give thought to what then does the Bible say about these matters from basically two standpoints. Today, let's consider the first one. To do so, let's first ask the rather straightforward question, what does God say? 
as we understand, the Scriptures are the only revealed will of God for us today. And so it is to the Holy Scriptures we must go. For isn't it still a salient truth that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Our first element then might be this. God demands that His people be a peculiar people. And that word in Titus 2 verse 14 means possessed of God. That directly means then that our basis for dancing is not culture. It simply is not a good enough reason to say, but everyone else, Dad, at school does it. It simply isn't a good enough reason to say, but Mom, all my friends are there. We need a far better reason than that. In Romans 12, beginning in verse 1, the inspired writer said, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You and I, perhaps from history, may remember that many in the ancient Roman culture openly danced in public and frankly did so naked. Paul wrote to the Romans and said, Do not be conformed to the world just because they do. It does not give you license to do the same. You see, Christians live to a higher standard than that. We are called upon because isn't it true that our calling from Ephesians 4.1 is a worthy one and an exceedingly high standard of conduct, isn't it? Based upon that, notice then what next follows. If it's our interest to discuss dancing from these standpoints, it might be fair to note that the word dance, or some form of it, occurs 27 times in the books of the Bible. If we, you and I were to look at those 27 occurrences, studying the context and ascertaining the question, what kind of dancing is under discussion, and does God approve of mixed modern dancing, that would be a very interesting study. And I hope to summarize the results of that in the comments to follow. We would discover that the kind of dancing that occurs falls into one of six categories. Let's briefly look at each one of them, and many of them, frankly, will be very brief. In fact, you'll notice the first one is the dance of an animal. In Isaiah 13, verse 21, we have the inspired prophet making note that the satyr... S-A-T-Y-R, engaged in a dance and did so in a triumphant fashion as a record of the destruction of Babylon. That was simply God's way of saying that I'm going to destroy Babylon and then even the animals are going to dance over the ruins of this city. That came to pass exactly as God prophesied it would. But then beyond the dance of an animal, we find the dance of children. In Job 21... Verse number 11, as well as Luke 7, 32, specific reference is made to this playful activity. And haven't we all enjoyed a very interesting scene of a young boy, a really young boy or girl, happily dancing around a picnic table, joyously in light of the fact that they're happy? It's easy to notice this has nothing to do, of course, with a modern dance between a grown man and woman. This is just children in their innocence and purity playing, if you please. You'll notice that in as much as that's mentioned, it too has no recourse or reference to the kind of dancing that is of interest to you and me today. In the third case, we notice that there is, on a couple of occasions, 
the record of women dancing with women. Interesting to note that at least in the way you and I consider that, that doesn't seem to appear very often in our society. It is easy to note men and women dancing together, but one rarely, if ever, sees men dancing with women with men and women dancing with women, at least if they're normal human beings from the perspective of the Bible. We might notice, though, that something about those two references might be easily noted. It was, it was events of celebration. The first, Miriam led the women in dances. They were celebrating the fact they had just crossed the Red Sea and did so triumphantly. But their Egyptian pursuers drowned as the waters, by the movement of God's effort, of course, drowned them. We might again notice this was a celebratory dance. A happy occasion in which these women, not of course with men, but these women danced in jubilation over the victory that God had given unto them. A similar thing happened in 1 Samuel chapters 18, 21, and 29, when again celebration in regard to women over the occurrence of the Ark of the Covenant and over the Israelite victories over some of those of their day led, of course, by David. In light of all of that, again, that does not address our question, men dancing with women, and so let us look further. There is those situations of rejoicing. This one goes hand in hand really with the former, and I debated whether to separate them or not. I finally chose, in fact, to do that. It was true that Miriam was rejoicing in Exodus 15, and that's the basis of that dancing she, along with the women, but here are some other references in Psalm 30, verse 11, Jeremiah 31, as well as Ecclesiastes 3, verse 4. It's to be noted that there's a time of dance and a time of sorrow. You'll note the contrast. Sorrow contrasted with dancing. It was merely a time of celebration, happiness over a good event or a good series of events that had taken place. For that reason, we notice the Bible seems to speak about this kind of dancing, but we still haven't found any reference to these kinds of dances that you and I would call the modern variety of dance. Let us look further. We notice in some instances there appear to have been dances that were a part of the Old Testament worship. In Psalm 149 and Psalm 150, we find dancing mentioned along with playing a musical instrument in worship. Question. Could that being be served or used as a license for the kind of modern dancing that you and I so often visualize and observe? And obviously the answer is no. In fact, one must question, was the dancing even authorized by the God of heaven in those instances? The instrument wasn't. According to 2 Chronicles 29, 15, as well as, well as Amos 6, verse 5, and so it may well have been even the dancing was not authorized either as a part of that Old Testament style of Israelite worship. To briefly summarize to this point, you and I have looked at five categories of dancing and not a one of them has even come close to mentioning the kind of dancing that you and I witness so often today. Let's look at category six. There is this other kind that is always discussed with such negative connotation. In fact, it is described as such sinful, evil activity. In fact, it is described as that that has evil passion. 
we remember it in Exodus 32, 19, as in fact the children of Israel, mixed men and women, danced around a golden calf. That was a very lewd, licentious, sinful, evil kind of dancing. I might add that that which took place bore, at least to this point in the lesson, the closest resemblance of what the modern dance might be. That's true, men and women today may not dance around a golden calf, but as they are on a dance floor, dancing with one another, moving around in this way and that, it seems to come awfully close to the description of Exodus 32, 19. Furthermore, in Matthew 14, that rather remarkable scene in which John the Baptist's life came to an end. How so? Because a woman danced in front of Herod. And the dance that she portrayed and in fact experienced before him, apparently, as dances of the Middle East in ancient times were wont to have been, was a very openly seductive, lewd, appealing, enticing kind of dance. Apparently it was so overwhelming to Herod, he promised her anything that she wanted, even to the half of his kingdom. When she asked for the head of John the Baptist, that he did. This was a kind of dance, again, overwhelmingly condemned in the Word of God. So far, we might reach this conclusion. Based on these, and we've looked at every kind of category of dancing, and there hasn't been a single positive authorization for it. In fact, there's only been condemnation for it. We might, in fact, leave that to note at the bottom. The only one that had men dancing with women was overtly condemned. That begins to lead us to question today, does God find approval and does He give His approval to the kind of dancing that seems so current and that which seems so popular? May I suggest there's more to be said. Let us look furthermore at some of these elements as well. Given the fact we have yet to find any authorization for it, let's now turn to the principles involved in it and see if the Bible in fact has more to say about it. That's one of the matters about the Word of God, isn't it? That is always so remarkable in that what principles are involved will be the principles upon which one can base a sound and solid conclusion relative to an activity. In fact, we often have to do that as Christians. For instance, the Bible nowhere uses the word gamble, but yet we are aware based on the principles involved that that activity is a sinful one may in fact a similar matter occur with respect to dancing. Let us see. Here in fact is a definition of a word that does occur quite often in the Bible. In fact, in some places, not the least of which was the one Brother Cale read for us just a moment ago. In Galatians 5 verses 19 to 21, we have a listing of the works of the flesh. Those matters that Paul concludes by saying, "...these shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven." leading all of us to appreciate the fact that those guilty of these, and if it's not forgiven, these, of course, will bar one forevermore from heaven. Needless to say, these are serious matters. The elements in that list are eternal in character. Lasciviousness is one of them, and here is its definition. I've quoted it from two different Greek lexicons so that we can be more aware of the nature and seriousness of exactly what that word means. First of all, lasciviousness means as living without any moral restraint. And a synonym would be licentiousness, 
sensuality, lustful indulgence, as employed in 2 Corinthians 12, 21, especially as indecent and outrageous sexual behavior, synonym being debauchery, indecency and flagrant immorality, as employed in Romans 13, 13, and then in the Freiburg lexicon, indecent bodily movements, unchaste handling of males and females. Might I, in fact, especially ask us to note that latter definition. The unchaste handling of males and females, together with indecent bodily movements. In light of a definition like that one, doesn't it call upon us to not only give serious consideration to, but to face the clear fact that's a definition for modern dancing, straightforwardly and plainly. Indecent bodily movements, unchaste handling of males and females, a boy putting his hands in places on a girl that he isn't married to. What a shame. And of course, a girl doing the same to the boy. In light of those kinds of things, notice what follows. It can't be successfully denied that dancing thus would be a licentious, or to say it differently, a lascivious activity, in that indecent bodily movements and unchaste handling of the opposite sex, together with the lustfulness, of course, occur, I would ask that we give some thought to an expansion of that latter thought for just a moment, because that's worthy of our consideration in light of these remarks. Lasciviousness, you and I just noted in Galatians 5, is openly condemned. But that isn't the only passage. God didn't just leave us to wonder if it was a slip of the pen. There are no slips of the pen in the inspired Scriptures. In Mark chapter 7, the Lord makes another listing of activities that in fact will doom one. And in that list also is made mention of lasciviousness. In 1 Peter 4 verse 3, as Peter wrote, to those who were formerly Gentiles. He made note of some of the behaviors of the former ways of life, and two is mentioned, lasciviousness. In light of each and all of them, let's now notice some features about dancing. Additional ones to those we've noted to this point. Dancing excites lust. That's one of its drawing cards, isn't it? to watch or to participate in that kind of modern dance. It is that which is in fact an excitement in terms of lust, that feature of the human family. But yet you and I are aware of the fact that the Bible condemns that kind of lust. Jesus expressly said in Matthew 5 beginning in verse 27 that if a man lusts on a woman in looking upon her, he's committed adultery with her already in his heart. The Lord based that as He began to say, You've heard it was said of olden time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Quoting, of course, from the Ten Commandments. But here the Lord stated it begins in the heart, And if a man looks on a woman to lust after her, he has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Gentlemen, we have to be careful. We do not want to stand before the God of heaven on judgment, having been guilty of adultery in our heart by virtue of watching a woman engage in some kind of modern dance and certainly to have participated in it uh, with some woman other than our wife. It is to be noted that that kind of activity Jesus stated on that occasion leads one into that mental action of adultery. 
Women, a similar matter for you. To watch a man who basically is virtually undressed and undergoing these kind of very seductive and movements upon a dance floor, whether he calls it exercise or not is irrelevant. What he's undergoing and doing is encouraging of lust in the mind of any woman who is watching. Isn't it to be noted that these things are, of course, of eternal import to the point that that next comment is worthwhile to be noted? Those who are sociologists and even those who are just observers of common character and nature are aware that one again of the features of this dancing is it's often a prelude to other sexual activity later. Ask those at the health department and those, in fact, on college campuses who, in fact, work in the infirmaries and otherwise, what happens a few days after school dances take place. If there isn't an increase in the number who are being tested for pregnancy, and if there isn't an increase in the number who, in fact, have to face other questions about venereal diseases and sexually transmitted diseases like that, Often a dance floor is the prelude of what happens later that night. No wonder as one gives thought to it, one must be carefully aware of and exceedingly mindful of facts like this one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul expressly in two words said, flee fornication. The kind of activities of which we've been speaking, those often to which dancing points, are merely fornication, and Paul said that must be fled from, avoided at all cost. We might again remember that the ancient Roman society was not known to be restrained very much. The Greeks, as well as the Romans, often flagrantly did things in public, flaunting whatever it was, the endowments of their body, and yet Paul said flee fornication, be it involved in a prostitutional temple or otherwise. Flee this! It's a sin. It will separate one from God, and it will, in fact, if unforgiven, will doom one eternally. Today, you see, though society may have marched through 20 centuries, we are battling some similar matters we did then. Can you imagine Christ moving around on a dance floor, gyrating in dance? Can you imagine Paul or Peter or John or one of the others you notice that whether it be lust or whether it be this discussion of fornication, may we take it a step further. Someone might argue, but I am strong as in my Christianity. I am able to control my thoughts and I am able to in fact restrain my partner such that he or she does not engage in the kind of dance that is so exceedingly close and that is so exceedingly appealing in terms of sinful thinking. What about all the others who are observing you? Paul expressly himself said, I will eat no meat until the world ends if it caused my brother to stumble. 1 Corinthians 8 verses 12 and 13 as well as Romans 14 verses 21 and following. In the interest of consideration for others who were there, it should be the furthest thing from our mind to engage in any activity that might cause them to stumble. Suppose they are weaker in their Christianity. Suppose they aren't even a Christian at all, but they are aware that you are. Well, he can dance and seems to do so with great enjoyment. Why not I? Who knows but what that might be the pivotal moment that drives that person further from Christ and he or she never obeys the gospel. It could happen. 
Our influence is a remarkable thing. It can be one for good, but it can also be one for evil. Maybe as we draw near the close of that, the sensuality associated with dancing, of course, was one of the matters that Paul stated must be mortified in Colossians 3, 5. That word mortify means put to death. It doesn't mean to dabble a little bit with, to experiment with. It's to be put to death. It would seem in line of principles like these and the fact that there's no explicit authorization for it, that that last statement on that slide might sum it up so well. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, did he not? Abstain from every appearance of evil. That is to say, even the appearance of it, you and I as Christians should strive to steer clear of it, to eschew it in the words of 1 Peter 3.11. And it is on an occasion like this one that our summary thus seems clear. Let's conclude our lesson and finish it with these simple statements. It's an excellent question. And each of us as parents or grandparents, it's almost guaranteed will be asked by our youngsters about dancing because they are faced with it seemingly on a weekly basis at school. It's in their textbooks, pictures portray it, and as I mentioned, administrators happily put it on as a fundraiser. And our children ask, can I go, Daddy? Can I participate, Mama? We need to have an answer. And we need to be ready with book, chapter, and verse once they get old enough to help them see why we have chosen the way that we did. Dancing is not an approved activity. As parents and as others, we should help teach our children that this is a sinful matter and that it's not a healthy form of recreation and it's not an approved form of livelihood of Christian conduct before God. The fact that it isn't authorized and these matters of the mind that it challenges bring us today to ask about ourselves. As you and I examine ourselves, whether we be in the faith, 2 Corinthians 13, verses 5 and 6, where do you and I stand? Maybe we aren't guilty of dancing. What about other activities that, of course, we know God has also condemned? Have you allowed yourself to be fooled to thinking, I can do this, and God won't notice or He won't care? God cares. He wants you to be the pristine example of Christianity that He wishes you to be and that He's called you to be. If today we can assist anybody in your response publicly to the gospel call of invitation, Brother Jeff has chosen a hymn of encouragement. We're going to stand and sing that in just a moment. If you have never become a Christian, why not today? Why not this very day, the 29th day of May, the year 2011? It can be your spiritual birthday. We could assist you in being baptized into Christ, Galatians 3, 26 and 7. And Christ will add you to His church, Acts 2, 47. If you have become a Christian, you have begun perhaps to walk that way, but... Peer pressure began to crush you to the point that you gave in. You've done one or more things and known in public of which you are not proud and things which in fact have brought disgrace to the church and to the cause for which Christ died. Why not come back to that first love today? We pray for you and with you and be honored to do so. If we can assist anybody today in your obedience to Christ, why not let that be known if you would while together we stand and while we sing?